My, my, my. What a beautiful song by the praise and worship team. Glory be to God for you all and what you do here in terms of ministering and music. Well, good morning, Good Hope. What a blessing it is to be in the house of the Lord one more time on this Sunday morning. God has been good, and he is good all the time. The text today for today's message is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But I want to share something with you this morning that I think is a, ch a challenge for all of us. Have you ever been reluctant to share your faith with others for fear of rejection? I know I have. There was a time in my life where I shared my faith with the guy who worked for us. He was our IT guy for 10 years. And I shared my faith with him. And he told me that anyone who could believe in the word of God, who believe God exists, has got to be out of their mind. He said that the idea of Christianity is foolishness. In essence, the brother was calling me a fool, y'all. And that bothered me tremendously. But what do you do when you share your faith and people oppose what you have to say? Or you try to share your faith and show goodness to someone who will use your past to disqualify you from sharing your faith with them. So today, I want to share with you a word of encouragement that will help you not only understand why you need to tell others about your faith, but how to do so. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, thank you so much for allowing us to, this time together, Lord, to study your word. We pray will be said and done. We'll be pleasing in your sight. We'll find fertile ground in the hearts of minds, those who are here, and that we can stand with confidence and proclaim your word with boldness. So, Lord, we commit our time right now into your hands. We pray that will be said and done. We'll be pleasing in your sight. Have me behind the cross and let your word go forth. We thank you. We love you for all that you are. in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The title of today's message is, Why and How Should You Tell Others About Your Faith? So as a Christian, the first thing I want you to know this morning is you must sanctify Christ in your heart. Sanctify Christ in your heart. First Peter is written during a time when the church was scattered and being persecuted. They were being persecuted, they were being opposed, they were being abused by the Romans and Jews. So there's three groups of people here. You got the church, you have the persecutors, and then you have the witnesses, those who were not persecuting, but they were making observations in terms of how the church was going to respond to being persecuted? How was the church going to display genuine faith in the midst of suffering? And the text says here in verse 15 of 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Peter says, that we are to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts. The word sanctify here means to honor. To, it means to be dedicated to. Uh, it, it means to respect. It means to commit one, oneself to serving a higher authority. And the idea of our hearts 
encompasses our affections, our desires, our emotions, our reasoning, our logic, uh, our will. It is every it's a control center of who we are on the inside, every aspect. The, the text says, sanctify everything that you are, sanctify Christ as Lord of your life. That's Lord means the idea of the word Lord here means the supreme master, the ruler, the one who is the owner of a particular possession, the one who is in charge, the commander and the chief. He said he says, sanctify Christ, acknowledge Christ as the 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 ruler, supreme authority in your life. I work as an executive chef. And I took a job as a sous chef at the Marriott Greenspoint years ago before I retired from being an executive chef, hotel chef. And I understand and I understood that I had to come in proclaiming that I was in charge. I had to let everyone know, all of my subordinates to know that I am the one, I am the authority, I am the one that they have to respect. But you know, what's interesting, I had one guy challenge me he told me, I don't have to, he said, you have to earn my respect. If anyone wants me to respect them, they have to earn my respect. And I told him, I said, listen, let me tell you something. I don't have to respect you, but you must respect me. He said, what? I said, I don't have to respect you, but you must respect me. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, if I disrespect you, I have nothing to lose. But if you disrespect me, it could cost you your job. So what's the reason why some of us struggle to sanctify Christ in our hearts? It's because we don't want to be managed. <laughs> I know I'm right about it. Another example of this is a, someone, a man who rents an apartment, who signs an apartment lease as the leasee of an apartment. He is the head of the household for that particular apartment, but his son is just the occupant, not a signer, but just an occupant. The point I'm trying to make is that there are times when we believe that we are the ruler of our own lives, we don't want to be managed, and Christ is just an occupant, and we are the head of household in our lives. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus Christ is the head of household in our lives. We are just an occupant. We are just a leasee. Who we are belongs to Christ. So as chosen by God, the text says, since you've been saved by grace, you are God's elect. You were purchased with a price. You are no longer your own, but you belong to Christ. Therefore, you have an obligation to sanctify Christ in your hearts. You have an obligation to be dedicated to, the, to what God has called you and I to do. To sanctify Christ is to honor him, to respect him, to dedicate yourself to serving him and obeying him and sharing your faith with others. That is why you need to tell others about your faith. But now, because we've, now that we've, we've talked about why we need to tell others about our faith, we're going to move into the how to tell others about your faith. As a Christian, must not only must you sanctify Christ in your heart, but you must show Christ by your life. 
you must show, amplify, exhibit Christ by your life, how you live your life. The text says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Our hearts gives birth to our thoughts, and our thoughts compel behavior. So there should be some outward evidence in our actions in terms of how we relate to God and others that's indicative of our faith. It says always be ready continually at all times to be consistently prepared and equipped to give an answer to those who ask, to make a defense to those who ask. This word, to be ready to make a defense, carries the idea of being in a court of law representing yourself, making a defense for your position, making a defense on your, for your own, your own behalf for what you say you believe. It, may, it means to plead your case. To who? It says to everyone who asks you to give an account. In essence, this text says to give a, a reasonable explanation for the hope that is within you. That word hope has the idea of an anticipation of blessings to come and anticipation and expectations of receiving, obtaining some goodness and blessings down the road. A hope of salvation, for example, a hope of a resurrection, for example, of eternal life, of blessings in the here and now, blessings in the future. That is the hope that Peter is referring to, the hope that is in us, the hope that is a part of who we are as Christians, just like our arms and our legs are a part of our body, the hope is a part of who we are. We need to show people our testimony by our life. The worst thing you can do when someone asks you to make a defense for something is to say, I don't know. When you make a defense like that, an answer like that, you lose credibility as a Christian, and your testimony and your faith means absolutely nothing. And the fact of the matter is, we can say what we want to say, but our actions speak louder than words. It's an issue of show and tell. People need to see our faith at work in our life, not just with our words. An example is going to be seen in a museum. A museum is a place that hosts exhibits. It's an avenue where things are put on, selected items are put on display that will entice people to become interested, to come and make observations and learn from what they're seeing. And it allows an opportunity for people to ask questions. Your life, my brothers and sisters, is a museum. Your life is on display. You are a walking exhibit to display to the world your faith in Christ. You are to display in such a way so people can see your, that you are zealous for goodness, that people can see on display your loving kindness in terms of loving others and serving others. People need to see how you respond, your calm response, your peaceful, tranquil response doing unfavorable situations, circumstances, and events. And as people make observations, as you are an, an exhibit on display for the world to see, it's going to compel some people to ask you questions. 
about how can you respond? How can you display those type of characteristics? Where does it come from? In other words, we have to re reflect the image of Christ. That's our exhibit, y'all. That's our faith. So how well do you reflect the image of Christ today? I can ask your friends, your families, but more than likely, they will have an answer from an outside perspective. But who knows, who really would know is those in your own household. So the image of Christ, if I were to ask them, how, how well do you reflect the image of Christ? What would they say to me? What image? How does that look? It's an image of goodness. It's an image of mercy. It's an image of forgiveness. It's an image of grace. It's an image of long-suffering. That means to put up with the faults of others. It's an image of patience. How well do you reflect those images of Christ? How would you rate your exposition to the world? So how do you share your faith? By showing Christ in how you live your life. So how and, sh how and why should you tell others about your faith? As a Christian, you must sanctify Christ in your heart. You must show Christ by your life. And finally, here's another way of how you can do it. You must share Christ with others. The text says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and with respect. This idea of gentleness carries this idea of meekness. Uh, and more than that, it carries this idea of humility. Uh, humility it's a result of how I view God. If I have a deflated view of God, I'm going to instinctively have an inflated view of myself, and I'm going to view people as objects to be used for my own self-gratification, and then when things happen to me, struggles in life happen to me, I'm not going to respond well because I'm going to feel like I don't deserve it. But when I have a proper view of God, when I see just how big God is, and just how awesome God is. When I see God's splendor and I see God's majesty, that's going to compel me to have a deflated view of myself, an insignificant view of myself, to have a feeling of unworthiness as a grasshopper, undeserving of God's grace. And then it's going to compel me to worship God for not taking me out for his mercies and grace. And then it's going to compel me to love others, to see others as more important than myself, and then when things happen to me, the difficulties of life, the storms of life rise up against me, I'm going to accept it because I know God is a sovereign God and he is the supreme authority. So you need to share your faith with gentleness and with respect. The whole idea is to share your faith without an, an, a bad attitude. To share your faith without having an argument without being insulted, not, without becoming angry, without being quarrelsome, but to share your faith with others with the right attitude. It reminds me of Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Jesus said something very interesting. He gave a parable 
about two men. One was a Pharisee, one was a tax collector. And here's what he says, it's written in Luke. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee took by himself and prayed, stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What is my point here? What I'm saying to you, sometimes we are reluctant verbally to share our faith with others for fear of man. In other words, we are, we are afraid of being rejected more than we are about trusting God. We are, we're more concerned about what others think of us than we are concerned about what God thinks of us. Proverbs 29, 25 says that the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord shall be exalted. The fear of man brings a snare. It's a trap. That is, the fear of man trap us because, because we're over-concerned about what people think of us. It compels us not to do what we should do or to do something that we should not do. That's, that's the trap part. All because we are concerned about what man thinks of us more than what God thinks. Another reason why we are reluctant to share because we have the, the wrong attitude like this Pharisee. Some of us have a Pharisee mental illness of self-righteousness and spiritual arrogance. And we forget how far God has brought us. And then we, people come in and need help. We encounter people who don't look like us. They're, 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 they have much less than we do. They're not as as blessed as we think with material, material possessions. They're struggling, they're in poverty. We're educated, they're not. And so we compare ourselves to them and we equate our blessings and our material possessions with the favor of God and we equate their struggles in life and their poverty and their mishaps and their hangups as God's cursing. We see ourselves better than they are. And we have this mindset is I don't want to deal with those folks. Those kind of people don't belong in our social group here at Good Hope. They are outsiders. They are downcast, outcasts. But we forget that we were just like those same folks with the same struggles, trying to make it through life. But God brought us through. He loved us in spite of ourselves. He rescued us from our condemnation of sin and death. And we have a whole lot in common with those folks. And if God can do it for you, he can do it for them. So we need to look at others with a heart of compassion. And we need to share our faith with everyone with the right attitude, with humility. With humility, gentleness, and with respect. Respect how? Because that same person 
that you encounter, that same person that's different from you, that same person who's struggling, that same person who's a wretch, who's wicked, is still a man, woman, boy, and girl who is made in the image of God, just like you. Thomas Watson, an English Puritan preacher during the 1600s described genuine humility in this way. He said, a humble soul is emptied of all swelling thoughts of himself. Are you humble? Are you empty of all swollen thoughts of your gifts, your talents, and your treasures? If so, you've got the wrong attitude. Because Christ calls us to have a spirit of humility, a love for people, a love for our enemy, a love for those who are struggling, to be zealous for doing good, to blessing others. And then when you are opposed by people, when people oppose your testimony, when people oppose you, when you share your faith, do you have to respond with gentleness, Peter says. Back to the story I started earlier. This guy called Doc who worked for me. And he said, no way, no how. There's no one in their right mind can truly believe that there is a God or that Christ ever existed. He said, it's foolishness to me, the guy that called me a fool. Now, I could have went to Proverbs and said, you know, well, the word of God says, the fool says there is no God. But I didn't go there. I didn't want to insult him. But I did tell him this. First Corinthians 2, 14 says, a natural man does not accept the things of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. He said, oh, I, I have no problem understanding. I can read. In fact, I have a Ph.D. in math. He said, that's not my issue. He said, it's just, I, how can you believe a God that you cannot see? So I had to have an answer for it, Doc. I said, yes, you may be right. However, Psalms 19 says the heaven tells of the glory of God in their expanse declare the work of his hands. Day and night pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor there are words, where their voice is not heard. Then I went to Romans. For since creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. He laughed about that. He said, yes, but that's what the word says. But you can't believe God's word. I had an answer for him. I said that all scriptures inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, so that every man be, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He still was not convinced. But you know what it did? He worked for us for 10 years. He held on to that story. Then he began to do some research and come back to me and say, you know, there was a man named Jesus. After this research, Mr. Rose, there was a man named Jesus, but I don't think he was the divine, had a divine nature. He was just a man 
who did good things. Then he went on and on. And then one month, because he used to come by once a month, Doc did his show for work. A few weeks went by, two or three weeks went by, and finally got a phone call. And he said to me, Mr. Rose, I hadn't been there because I had a stroke. He said that he was a single man, lived alone. He said, I, I had a stroke and I laid on my kitchen floor for three days. Couldn't get to a phone. It was just there, laying there, couldn't move. He said, until finally some friends came by because I wouldn't answer my phone and they knocked the door down, broke in and found me there and got me to the hospital. He said, I'm in rehab right now. Things, I'm a little sore, I'm a little numb on one side of my body. But overall, I'm doing okay. And he said, by, I said, I'll be praying for you, Doc. He said, listen, by the way, tell your wife that Jesus was there all the time. <laughs> Jesus was there all the time. Look, it took 10 years of giving this man an answer for his rebuttals. But he, 10 years later, after a stroke, he declares faith in Jesus Christ. All I'm saying, my brother, is you have to have an answer for people as they observe your godliness, as they see you practicing your faith. You have to have an answer for the questions that they ask you. You must sanctify Christ in your heart. You must allow Christ to manifest himself in terms of how you exhibit your life. And you've got to stand firm on your faith. If someone says, how can a good God allow bad things to happen? You can say, Romans 8, 28 says, but all things work together for the good are those who may call according to his purpose. Someone can say, well, listen, how can you not worry in such difficult situations? Because the word of God says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, make you request be made known to God. And the God who passes all human company here to regard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How do you know God exists? Because the word says by what God revealed himself, by what has been made, that man is without excuse. What about tomorrow? What's going to happen tomorrow? What about the good and bad days that happen? You cannot predict your future. Where's the hope in that? Ecclesiastes 7 11 says this. It says, consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has been? In a day of prosperity, be glad. But a day of adversity, consider God has made one as well as the other. But you're going to die soon. And once you're dead, you're dead. No, my Jesus said that in my father's house, there are many mansions. And I go to prepare a place for you. No, my life doesn't end at death. Because it says, well, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should have everlasting life and should not perish. Aren't you glad today that you have an answer for rebuttals? You have a, a word for, that addresses every aspect of life. So therein is my hope. There is where I'm going to stand with confidence, and I'm going to tell my testimony. And if you don't know enough word, you got a testimony. At least know John 3, 16, but you've got to have an answer. So how, why should you share your faith? 
because you are called to do so, because Christ is the authority in your life. That's your responsibility. You and I have an obligation to show a dying world how they can, they can find hope and how they can find peace and how they can find joy, even in the midst of their circumstances. I know I'm glad about it today. Are you glad about it? I know I am. So what are you going to do? I've given you why to tell about your faith. I've shown you how to show your faith. Now you have to go and do what? Share your faith through humility, gentleness, and respect. The word of God says in James, James asked the question, chapter 3, verse 12, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show it by his good behavior, his deeds done in the gentleness of wisdom. James says, who among you have a testimony? Who, who among you is genuinely faithful? Who among you is a mature Christian? He says, show it not just by what you say, but show it by how you live your life, how you relate to others, doing good, how you are zealous for doing good, in a spirit of humility that comes from my view, having a proper view and embracing the character of God. Then he goes on in, this, in James, he says, how does, it, how does it look like to be mature? He said, but the wisdom from above is, for, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, without hypocrisy, unwavering, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. When you share your testimony, when you tell of your faith, all you're doing is planting seeds in righteousness that may germinate that day, or like Doc, it may be 10 years later. Nonetheless, you have won someone to Christ, not just with your words, but for, out of your commitment to Christ and by how you've lived your life and you've demonstrated the hope that is in you. Let us pray. Praise the Lord so much for all that you are, Lord. We're so grateful for choosing us, for loving us, for keeping us. And we thank you, Lord, for the hope we have in your son, Jesus Christ, that he is the king of kings and he is Lord of lords. He is our rock, our refuge, our fortress, and he is the supreme authority of which we belong to him. Help us, Lord, to commit ourselves to sanctify Christ in our hearts, to commit ourselves for the work of service that he's given us, that we show and exhibit Christ to the world. We have an answer to defend our faith, the hope that's within us, and that we share with others testimony of our hope so that they too can come to the faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. We thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.